You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. Uh, welcome, everybody. It's uh, great that you could all be here, um, not just uh, to um, listen to me, but to participate in, in the corporate body of Christ. Um, so uh, it was probably about two months ago now that I, I preached last, um, and I kicked off my own kind of segregated series on Philippians. Um, if you haven't heard that, that uh, sermon is available on our podcast. Um, has anybody ever uh, gone back and found a sermon from there and listened to it? Yeah? It's good. Um, so if you're not familiar with it, um, feel free to scroll through your email and you'll see a link to the uh, the podcast um, where you can basically listen to any sermons again or if you've missed one, you can catch up. Um, so that one's on there. But um, just to recap, I... Um, I um, kicked off and I gave a bit of a context and an overview of Paul's journey, what brought him to the Philippian church um, and uh, how he actually planted the Philippian church and, and what happened there. Um, it, uh, the church of Philippi was uh, is in a um, Roman colony um, that's very patriotic to, to Rome. Um, and so as a result, Paul was persecuted a lot there for um, sharing the good news of Jesus um, and was thrown in prison. Um, and now that same church is experiencing persecution, uh, probably by the same people that were persecuting Paul when he was there. Um, now, later on, uh, Paul uh, was imprisoned, uh, either by house arrest or in a jail cell somewhere, Um and he sent a letter um, to the Philippian church because they'd actually sent someone called Epaphroditus to him. Uh, they um, heard that he was uh, kind of imprisoned and they wanted to send uh, a gift to him. And um, so Epaphroditus went and brought this gift to him and supported him in his ministry while he was there. And so this is the letter that's coming back with Epaphroditus to the church of Philippi. Um, and last time I spoke, uh, I... I went through the first 11 verses and I talked about how um, Paul was calling all Christians together to joyfully partner in the gospel um, as we're conformed to the image of Christ and that this is all for the glory of God. And so that's kind of where we've, we finished off after the first 11 verses. And so we're going to jump into um, starting from verse 12 here. Um, All Christians are called to joyfully partner in the gospel as they are conformed to the image of Christ for the glory of God. That was my driving home point last last time. Um, so if I turn this on, I should be able to just press next and away we go. So uh, we'll, we'll read through the passage. So we're going from um, Philippians chapter 1. Verses 12 through to the end in verse 30. So, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, 
most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, uh, uh, through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. For to me, Christ is uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you, are stand, that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Um. Lovely, and so we'll, we'll be we're digging through that today. Um, Paul, I just realised that the verse, uh, the version you've got up there is an NIV. Do you mind going through and changing the subsequent things to the um, CSB, the Christian Standard Bible? That would be great. The CSB, yeah, Christian Standard Bible. Thanks, Paul. That'll just help me uh, as I go along. Or it might be under the HCSB, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, is the other option. Um, that sounds great. Thanks, Paul. Um, let me pray. Lord, um, thank you for your word through Paul to the Philippian church. Um, thank you for uh, his... Um, fervor and desire to see the Philippian churches, uh, people of the Philippian church to um, live for you, um, that he is um, just so um, in love with you and wants that to flow through uh, this letter to them. Uh, we just pray that you will speak to us now as we, as we unpack this. Um, so back in 
roughly 2016, um, my brother Oliver um, was diagnosed um, quite unexpectedly with uh, a condition called the Guillain-Barre syndrome. I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly, but um, it has, um, he was basically just going about life as normal and then uh, out of the blue he started feeling pain in his legs and was quite uh, difficult to walk um, and this actually got worse and worse and it got to a point where he was unable to walk and he actually had paralysis um, of his legs um, and he, he went into hospital to find out what was happening and they diagnosed him with Guillain-Barre syndrome um, and, and that's one of the, the main symptoms is this this pain that leads to paralysis um, and as my dad looked into it, um, looking up Dr. Google, he even found that in some circumstances uh, it can result in death um, and so my brother was in hospital basically unable to look after himself, unable to move um, and yet in the midst of that uh, he had a very positive outlook. Um, which was quite odd considering his circumstances of having this thing come completely out of left field. Um, but he trusted God in the midst of it all. Um, while he was in hospital, he actually uh, had one of his um, uh, somebody bring in his acoustic guitar and he'd actually play it in the in the ward and sing worship songs. Um, and uh, it was just uh, amazing to see his um, heart for God, even in the midst of this hard time. And uh, at one point, he had a, a nurse come through while he was playing um, and just interrupting me. And, and he was like, oh, oh dear, Somebody's, somebody from another ward's complained that I'm uh, basically singing about God. This is, uh, okay, it looks like I have to stop this. But she actually said, oh, somebody from down the uh, another ward has actually heard it and... Um, really enjoys hearing what you're singing. He's wondering if you could actually go in there and play for her. And so he got put into a wheelchair and rolled down to another ward and was able to play um, these worship songs for for another person in a ward and, and, and share the gospel with them. Um, and while he was there, he was also able to talk with the nurses and encourage them in their jobs and, and just be a real shining light and example of Christ in that. Um, People came out of the woodwork, old friends that maybe he hadn't reconnected with in a while kind of came out of the woodwork to see how he was going because he's got this um, condition. Um, and uh, those who weren't Christians, he was able to share his peace and um, in Christ. Uh, and for those who were Christians, he was able to encourage them by the fact that he had peace in Christ. Um, and all of this, he saw was a great opportunity for him to share the gospel with people who wouldn't have heard it otherwise. Um, and that was uh, an amazing thing. And then later on, um, thanks, thankfully to God, he actually made a full recovery and, and walked out of there uh, uh, after a, about a week or so in, in hospital. Um, and he had to go through rehabilitation and, and kind of re rework with his legs. But... Um, yeah, that's that's all kind of something that's behind him. But I see the, the correlation in what happened there and what's happened to Paul here. So if we look at verse 12, um, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel. Um, here we see Paul addressing his current predicament to the Philippian church. He wants to 
uh, allay their fears about um, his welfare in the midst of his imprisonment. Paul seems to have a different focus to what one would expect um, when you're checking on someone in a dire circumstance. Like if, um, like my brother was kind of didn't seem to be affected by the fact that he was paralysed from the waist down. He was quite joyful in the midst of that. Paul as well seems kind of strangely optimistic in the midst of his uh, circumstances. Instead, he seems to be looking, uh, instead of at the issue in front of him, he's instead looking to Christ. Um, and this is really, in his eyes, just an opportunity for him to share the gospel with people who maybe he otherwise wouldn't have had an opportunity to do. Uh, continuing on verse 13, it says, So that um, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is in the cause of Christ. Um, so, so Paul's taken this opportunity that's come to him and he's now been able to preach to the whole imperial guard. Um, you know, one would think that by chaining Paul down, that would actually limit his ministry, but it just opens up another avenue. Um, there was an old Anglican bishop called Thomas Dury uh, who said, by having the soldiers chain Paul up, they effectively chained himself to him to hear his story of the gospel. And these same soldiers who were with Paul one day hearing his testimony may well be in the presence of Nero the next day. See how amazing that is. They're they're chaining Paul up, but they're chaining themselves to him. And and so he's just able to talk right into their ear about the gospel. Um, It's actually a very similar story here to what happened uh, and what was shared at the Vicar Quip uh, the NCMI Vic Equip at the start of the year. There was a, um, Oz Equip. That's correct. Um, there was a, a man, um, who shared his story. I believe he was from, uh, Laos. Um, and he was actually arrested for preaching the gospel. He was a pastor and he, um, got, uh, was basically found to be preaching the gospel. And like, this is not on. We're going to throw you in prison. Um, and of course, when you get into prison, everybody turns to you and says, oh yeah, why are you in here, mate? Uh, and so like, you know, stabbing, arson, you know, robbery. Well, what was it? And he was like, oh yeah, I'm in here because of Jesus. And they're like, what's this Jesus? Is that some new form of drug or something on the street? Um, but no, it was the fact that he was here because he was preaching Jesus. And so he preached to them. And then the guards freaked out because now he's preaching to the inmates and to the guards. And so they get him and they throw him out of prison because <laughs> they don't want to hear it. And so he's just uh, sharing the gospel wherever he goes. And this is exactly what Paul is doing. He preaches to people and then the, he gets thrown in prison. And so he preaches to the people in prison and to the people who are imprisoning him. It's just a wonderful illustration of how God overrules the wicked plans of men and of demons and brings victory out of what appears on the surface to be a tragedy. Yes, man may have wickedness, but God has his way. And the sharing of the good news with the imperial guard is not the only good thing to have happened here uh, as a result of Paul's imprisonment. Verse 14 continues and says, Most of the brothers... Uh, in the Lord have gained confidence from my imprisonment. 
and dare even more to speak the message fearlessly. Paul's boldness for Christ has actually been a spark for other Christians to share the good news about Jesus. Um, it's like he has been the person at the forefront clearing the way for others, kind of bush bashing into new territory and creating a pathway for other people to walk in. And notice how it's his imprisonment that gives confidence to others. How amazingly paradoxical is it that by the attempts to snuff out Christianity, this so often bolsters the faith of believers. You know, we see this today in many countries um, where Christians are persecuted. Um, there are often thriving churches in those places, places like China and Iran, where you can be imprisoned or killed, for example. There are many conversions and great things happening through the gospel there. And we can also see for Paul, um, it is greatly encouraging that his current suffering is a catalyst for more people to preach the gospel. He takes joy in the fact that he is suffering now, but that's actually helpful for other people. Verse 15 says, To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and strife, but others do it out of goodwill. These do so not out of love, uh, these do so out of love, sorry, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, seeking to cause me anxiety in my imprisonment. Here Paul examines the motives of those who are preaching. Uh, on one hand, there are those who seem to be jealous of Paul and his fame, or if you'd call it that, um, they seem to see an opportunity when Paul is in prison to actually go out and seek to build their own influence and their own following. And they seem to be mostly focused on doing it for themselves out of their own selfish ambition. And yet on the other hand, we see those who understand that Paul is appointed for the defense of the gospel. In other words, he's just another person preaching the message of Christ crucified. These people want to join with Paul as another worker, seeking to show God's radical love to other people. You know, it's sad to think that the work of a Christian can be carried out and fueled by things like greed and strife and envy and pride. And it's an important reminder for us to check ourselves and see and realize that we're not actually beyond being motivated by those same things um, as we struggle with that tension between the spirit and the flesh. Just because we're participating in Christian service doesn't always mean we have Christ-like motives. And yet in spite of our motives, God still uses us. Paul continues in verse 18, he says, What does it matter? Just that in every way, whether out of false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. While Paul hopes that everyone is motivated by the goodness that comes from understanding what Jesus has done for us, at the end of the day, he's just happy that what Jesus has done for us is shared with as many people as possible. You know, we often get hung up on the motives of others or even small secondary theological debates that don't really have anything to do with the message of the gospel. 
we target, uh, we, we seem to forget that instead, uh, of focusing on that, we should just be glad that there are people out there doing something for the kingdom of God. I mean, how often do we ridicule and tear down those who seek to do God's will because of differences in theology? Or because they're focused on this thing over here and we really wish they were focused on that. At least they're doing something. And the great thing is that we're all part of the one body. And different parts express their heart for God in different ways. Each have their own strengths and weaknesses. And yet God uses them all for his glory. Now, If God can use the actions of those who distinctly hate him for his glory... How much more can he use the potentially misguided actions of those who love him? How incredible is it that God managed to use the twisted motives of us as broken uh, people for his good and glory? Um, There's a guy called Tim Mackey. You probably know him as the voice behind a lot of the Bible Project videos, if you're familiar with those. Um, And he says that often in Western Christian in Western Christian circles, we draw a hard line between where God is at work and where we are in control. We think that if God's really at work, it must not be me. Or if it's me, then it's not God. Yet we cannot seem to reconcile that God would effectively work through us in the midst of our brokenness. But when we examine the Bible, what do we see? Consistently, God is choosing to use humans for his plans for sharing the good news. Paul says, yes, I will rejoice because I know this will lead to my deliverance through your prayers from uh, and help from the Spirit of Christ Jesus. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. In the midst of the darkness of uh, captivity, Paul is still rejoicing. I mentioned it before, but it, it seems like such a disconnect from his circumstances, and that's absolutely correct. And that's because his eyes aren't looking at his circumstances. They're instead turned towards Christ. Here, Paul is confident of his future release through the prayers of the Philippian church and the Spirit of God. And yet he knows the journey ahead is going to be difficult and there's still a possibility he could be executed. But for Paul, his priority is that he's boldly honouring to Christ, regardless of whether he lives or dies. He hopes that he does not turn away from the message or water it down as things get more difficult, but that he will continue to be bold and tell people about how Jesus has saved him. Paul says, you know, for him, living is Christ and dying is gain. Paul's life has been purchased by Christ. So for him, what's there to lose? In uh, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verse 19 and 20, it's, uh, Paul says in another letter, you are not your own, you were bought at a price. And in Galatians 2, verse 20, it says, 
I've been crucified with Christ. So no long, uh, so no longer, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To Paul, he's been presented with a win-win situation. Paul says for him, that's what, that's what Paul's saying. What if we turn that question to us? What do we say? How do we feel this sentence? For me, living is and dying is. Do we often fill that blank with Jesus? Do we, do we actually do that? Don't we say by our actions that what we're really living for is money or entertainment, sexual pleasure, beauty, more likes on Facebook? But what if we follow the flow of Paul's statement? We must also answer what dying means for that. If we live for more likes on Facebook, then to die means the end of that digital affirmation. If we live for beauty, then dying means losing all beauty and rotting away. If we live for sexual pleasure, then dying means no more pleasure. If we live for money or entertainment or power, then dying means a loss of those things. And this is why death is feared by so many people. Because it is the loss of what they live for. People live so often for what has been created rather than for the creator and sustainer himself. Matthew 16.26, Jesus says, For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses his life? But if we are living for Christ, then like Paul, we can also say that to die is to gain. For in death we are reunited with Christ and raised to new life with Jesus. For the Christian who lives for Christ, the sting of death is gone. Because death does not take away what we live for, but it reunites us to it. Or rather to him, it reunites us to Jesus. Paul says, now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I'm pressured by both. I desire to depart and be with Christ which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Paul sees death as attractive. How odd is that? Do we view eternal life with Jesus as highly as Paul? Or are we still holding on to those things in life that will waste away with death? And yet Paul, while he desires to be with Jesus... He still sees the importance and the necessity of his place on earth to be a guide and an encouragement to his brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul doesn't doubt that God will use him on earth if he stays. In Ephesians 2.10 he says, 
for we are God's creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do, so that we could walk in them. Paul knows that he's going to be of use to God if he stays. And so for that, he says in verse 25, since I'm persuaded that living is the better option, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of me, your confidence may grow in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. How selfless of Paul to not think of his own comfort an easy life, but instead, what will be best for the kingdom of God? What's going to advance the kingdom of God? What's going to be best for the welfare of the people that he's uh, planted uh, in the church in Philippi? You know, through Paul's imprisonment, he's been able to share the good news of Jesus with people who would have never heard it without that. He's been able to write letters to various churches during this time, such as this letter to the Philippians. And he's been able to be an encouragement of being bold for Christ, which has allowed others to stand up and walk in that. Paul's eyes are fixed on the bigger picture of Christ at work in the midst of his own suffering and imprisonment and how God is able to use that for his good, for God's good. Just one thing, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. (laughs) Mic drop. (laughs) He did just say one thing though, not a small thing. Um, And this is not a small thing. Here Paul is changing tact. He's brought up, uh, he's finished his report on himself and talking about how things are going in his own circumstance. And now he's directing his attention to the Philippian church and how they can live for Christ. It's one thing to speak the gospel, but Paul knows it's an entirely different thing to live it. Christ has died and risen on their behalf and brought them into new life so that they should step forward in light, in light of their righteousness in God. This instruction from Paul would have been useless if it was given to a people who weren't already transformed by the salvation of Christ. So Paul knows that there is a change there, but he encourages them still to step into it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, The Christian is the man who no longer seeks his salvation, his deliverance, his justification for himself. His justification uh, is comes through Jesus Christ alone. He knows that God's word in Jesus Christ pronounces him guilty, even when he does not feel his guilt. And God's word in Jesus Christ pronounces him not guilty and righteous, even when he does not feel he is righteous at all. The Christian no longer lives for himself, by his own claims and his own justification, but by God's claims and God's justification. He lives wholly by God's word pronounced upon him, whether that word declares him guilty or innocent. 
the Philippian church is declared righteous by God. We are declared righteous by God when we put our faith in Christ, not based on how we feel, but based on the word of God. Paul continues, he says, Then when I, whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your deliverance, and this is from God. If Paul doesn't make it out of his current imprisonment alive, or is waylaid from being able to reach them, he knows that he's going to hear about how they're living. He's going to hear stories of it. And this gospel-centered living doesn't come from the individual's of a church, it comes from the unity and faith in the good news about Jesus. It's through living the Christian life side by side that they are able to stand firm. By themselves, they wouldn't be able to maintain this. Another quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he come, becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in his brother's word. His own heart is uncertain but his brother's is sure. It is through their unity, standing shoulder to shoulder together, that they are able to stand firm in the midst of their doubts and the midst of their persecution. Paul encouraged them to push into community with each other because it is there that they will be able to bear each other's burdens, especially in the midst of opposition. The Philippian church was under persecution for their faith and so the temptation was there for them to probably live in a manner that wasn't worthy of the gospel, to try and water things down and instead trying to fit in with the culture around them. How much do we do this? You know, we speak freely of God uh, within, at our church gatherings within the safe confines of these walls, in a small group, but when we walk out of this building, do those words turn into actions? Do we speak up and defend those who are downtrodden and bullied in our workplace? Or do we just go along with the joke and kind of hope nobody notices? Do we reach out to the unlovable people in our lives? Or do we pretend we never noticed them in the first place? Do we give generously of our resources to those who are in need? Or do we splurge on ourselves so we have something new to brag about to our friends? Paul has already given his own example of the cost of living boldly the life of Christ. And he sets an example. 
he says the opposition that is received by Christians should actually be an encouragement. What, why is that? Because if you live like Jesus and you receive opposition and persecution, those who oppose themselves show themselves as those who will be destroyed, he says. This is a sign of destruction for them. And that's because they don't truly oppose you, but God, the one you live for. Those who reject God are also rejecting his offer of redemption through Jesus' blood. And yet for the Philippians who are being persecuted, it's a sign of deliverance for them. For they are part of the body of Christ and they've been reconciled to God by Jesus' blood. So what in, on the surface looks uh, frightening and uh, unwelcome and is a cause of suffering is actually, for Paul, in his mind, a cause of rejoicing because it just points the finger to show that these are people that God is going to ultimately deal justice to and that he is one to whom he will be reconciled to Christ. Verse 29 says, For it has been given to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him having the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I have. Now, the Philippians certainly saw Paul's struggle. Uh, as I mentioned at the start, uh, when I was recapping the last sermon, they saw Paul's treatment at the hands of the um, leaders of the uh, city of Philippi. And either they heard about, they saw it firsthand or they heard about it from somebody who'd seen it firsthand. And those same people who persecuted Paul would most likely be the same people who would be persecuting the Philippian church at that point. And they've also heard about Paul's current, Paul's current predicament of being imprisoned and the possibility of execution. And Paul says in this that the suffering they have has been given to them. Does that feel uncomfortable to hear that? Yeah. <laughs> that we are to suffer for Christ? It's not that surprising that it does because in our Western Christianity, which is often a bit more like a churchianity, we have this idea that if we become Christians and we put our faith in God, He will make our lives better. Sometimes this idea is a clear thought, but often it's much more subconscious for us. But it shows itself when things don't go our way, when things don't go well for us. We believe that if we put our faith in God, that he will bless us and make us happy and healthy and wealthy. And so when life gets difficult, we get annoyed and we get disappointed with God. We get frustrated because he doesn't seem to be holding up his side of the agreement. We can often feel that in the midst of our suffering, God has abandoned us. Yet how does Paul respond to the suffering he's enduring? 
What about my brother when he ended up in hospital? How did he respond? They both know that God says to his people, I will be with you. I am with you. And instead of looking towards themselves, they instead turned and looked towards Christ. They looked how they could be God's light in the circumstances where they were in. Paul is encouraging the Philippians and us to do the same thing, to look towards Christ. And Jesus, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's statement that he will be with us. The God of the Bible is with his people. In fact, he so closely identifies with the pain and suffering and persecution of his people that he became one with us in our humanity in the form of Jesus. He stepped into the midst of our pain and took it upon himself. He allowed the wicked plans of demons and men to overwhelm him and consume him and ultimately to kill him. But that's not the end of the story. Because Jesus then overcame death with his resurrection. He was the one to bush bash through death into life, into a new life. He forged a path through him to reconciliation with God. Because of Christ's work on the cross and his resurrection, we no longer have to look at death as something to be feared, but instead of gaining that which gives us life, Jesus himself. What about you? Where where are you at? Are you currently in a season of suffering? Do you feel God has abandoned you? We need to examine ourselves if this is how we're feeling in the midst of suffering. We need to ask the question, why do I feel God is distant now? If the answer to that question is because God is not doing what I think he should be doing, then we really need to get honest. We need to ask ourselves, why do we feel God is obligated to solve my problems and make my life easy? That's a really hard question to ask. Luther says, The kingdom is to be in the midst of your enemies, and he who will not suffer this does not want to be of the kingdom of Christ. He wants to be among friends, to sit among roses and lilies, Not with the bad people, but with the devout people. Oh, you blasphemers and betrayers of Christ, if Christ had done what you were doing, who would ever have been spared? Christ took on that suffering in our place to suffer the ultimate so that we didn't have to. Some of you right now are struggling in really difficult circumstances. Or there are people you know who are struggling under great hardship. And maybe in the midst of this suffering, there's that temptation to ask, 
is God really with me? To question God's character. And yet, we need to not look at the situation, but instead turn our eyes to Christ. He is God's statement of love for you and for this world. And then as we look to Christ, we can join with Paul saying, for me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.